Good morning. Is this on? Can you hear me? Is it okay to move this over here? All right. I, I saw Jeb over here, and I thought, well, maybe this is where, where he preaches from. Um, it is a joy and an honor for me to come and to be with you today and, and to preach and also to welcome you to the West Plains Conference of the Global Methodist Church. And uh, the, the mission statement is we make disciples for Jesus Christ who worship passionately, love extravagantly, and witness boldly. And so are there any teachers in, in, uh, here this morning? If you're a teacher, raise your hand. All right? There, there's a few teachers. So I'm going to give you a pop quiz later today, okay? <laughs> so I remember... Uh, growing up, and the teachers would give us pop quizzes, and all of a sudden, I was scared to death. So, um, later on, I'll, I'll uh, see if you remember, the mission statement is, we are to make disciples for Jesus Christ, who worship passionately, who love extravagantly, and who witness boldly. And so, uh, again, I want to thank you for... Uh, uh, letting me come here this morning and, and to preach. And so uh, there are times when we are asking the right question because it's very crucial to our well-being. So asking the right question is very crucial to our well-being. And so there was a missionary in South America when the temperatures would soar to 120 degrees. He was tempted to cool off with a swim in the local river. But he was leery because of the man-eating fish. And the locals assured him that the piranhas only bite people when they're swimming in schools, and they do not swim in schools around here. And so each afternoon, the, the missionary would go and cool off in that river with a swim for about 30 minutes to an hour. And... And so months later, he heard that there was a fisherman that had fallen out of the boat, and they had never recovered his body. And so he was kind of alarmed, and he asked his neighbors and said, if perhaps maybe the man had been eaten by piranhas. And, and so the locals assured him, and they said, oh, no, no. Just remember, only while swimming in schools do they bite people, and they do not swim in schools around here. But why not around here, the missionary asked. And, and so the, the local neighbor casually replied and said, they never swim in schools around here where there are alligators. I mean, think about that. <laughs> that missionary was swimming in that water for 30 minutes to an hour every afternoon. He didn't realize that there were alligators. And so asking the right questions and answering them correctly can mean the difference between life and being an alligator's lunch. And when you think about that spiritually, the same is true. Asking the right question and answering it correctly can mean the difference between eternal life and eternal condemnation. And that's what's at stake here in this passage that we're going to be reading. And it is in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. And, and this is, these are two very crucial questions 
in the life of every person. And so, Luke chapter 9, hear these words. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Very important question that we have to answer. And so we see this is in Luke chapter 9, but when you go back to the other earlier chapters in, in Luke, Luke points out to us over and over Jesus' identity. He's telling us who Jesus is, and he gives us a glimpse of, of Jesus Christ before he asks these two questions. Well, if you go back to chapter 2, the birth narrative, we see the angels announce the birth of Jesus, the birth of a Savior who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And then there's John the Baptist as he was preaching and there were some who came and said, are you the one? And, Jesus, or, and John the Baptist denied that he was the Christ. And he pointed people to Jesus. And, and he said, there is one that is coming that is more powerful than I. That I am unworthy to tie, untie his sandals. He said he is God's salvation. And he points people to Jesus and said he is God's salvation and then even the demons knew Jesus's identity when Jesus would come and and he would uh, cast out the demons the demons knew exactly who Jesus was when they cried out that Jesus was the holy one of God that Jesus was the son of God and so so we see and just these few scriptures that when we think of who Jesus is, his identity, he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is God's salvation. He is Christ the Lord. And then not only that, when, when you start reading in, in chapters 5 uh, through 9, it, it comes out again when Jesus forgave the paralytic his sin. And if you remember, Jesus was, was in the house and and it was full. And so there was a paralytic. And there were four friends of the paralytic who, who uh, said, come on, we want to get you to Jesus. So they grabbed each corner of that thing that he was laying on, and they took him to Jesus. They tried to get in the front door, but they couldn't get in the front door. And so what did they do? They crawled up on top of the roof. They put a hole in the roof, and they lowered their friend right there in front of Jesus as he was teaching 
the people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And so he, he said to that man, your sins are forgiven. And can you imagine his, what his friends were thinking? Hey, we came to bring our friend so that he could be healed, and you're saying that his sins are forgiven? And then you can imagine what the teachers and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking, and they said, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking, and so he said, so that you may know that I can forgive sin, rise up and walk. And he healed the man, showing them that not only can he heal, but he can also forgive our sins. And then when Jesus was with his disciples, as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and next thing they know, Jesus is asleep, and there's this big storm. The, the boat is rocking back and forth. It's taking on water. They're scared to death. And they crowd to Jesus and they can't believe he's asleep. And they wake him up. And what does Jesus do? He calms the waves. He calms the water. He calms the storm. And they say, who is this? He commands even the water and the winds and they obey him. And then even Herod raises the question in chapter 9. When he hears of the miracles taking place, he says, Who is this man that I hear such things? Jesus is showing them his true identity. He's showing them who he is. And now Jesus, as he gets the, his disciples together, he, he says, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they began to share John the Baptist, Elijah, someone who has come back from the, from the dead. But then, you know, Jesus gets personal, as he always does. Jesus gets personal with us. And he asked us this question as he was asking the disciples. But he said, who do you say that I am? Because who you say I am will be how you will live your life. And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. It's the first time the disciples referred to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the Anointed One of God. You know, when I was 16 years old, uh, I grew up in Fort Stockton, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> and one, one morning in the spring, I woke up with a stomachache. And it was about, it hurt so bad. But then as Tom went on, the next thing, uh, as, as I got to the end of, of the, the day, uh, I was just doubled over in pain, and I, I, I could hardly move. My stomach hurt so much. Well, my parents took me to the emergency room that night, and they tried to do tests and tried to do different things to see what was going on. They couldn't find out what was happening, so they transferred me to Odessa Medical Center which is about 90 miles away. And, and so uh, when I got there, they immediately took me to the hospital, uh, to the surgery, and they did exploratory surgery. And they had found out that my intestines had ruptured. I was born with this weakness in the lining, and uh, that food in there was poisoning my body. I was literally dying. 
Well, I'd been in the hospital for about a week. There were prayer groups back in Fort Stockton praying for me. And I loved how your focus is on prayer. You, talk, you mentioned that y'all spend an hour in prayer every Wednesday morning. That's awesome. Prayer changes things. And so as I was laying in bed that evening, about 8 o'clock, the churches in Fort Stockton were getting together around 7 or so. And as I was laying there, my mom was in the chair all of a sudden, this burning sensation where they had done this surgery from here to here, and, and this burning sensation just spread throughout my whole body. And I knew that God was at work. I didn't understand it, but I knew that God was doing something in my life. And this peace that surpasses all understanding, I, I was at peace with what God was doing. And I felt the overwhelming love of God in my life. And I said, told my mom, God is doing something. God is healing me. And I praise God for what he had done. And so <clears throat> I, I was in the hospital for another week. And uh, my parents told me that if I didn't get better that night, because that started the healing process, if I didn't get better that night, I would probably have to go into surgery the next day on that Thursday morning and the doctor said my body was so weak from fighting off that poison that I probably wouldn't make it off the operating table. God gave me life. I understood that God did a miracle in my life. And so if you would have asked me that question, who do the people say that I am? I could have said, he is the master healer. He is the one who can forgive, or he is the one who, who can uh, bring perfect peace. He's the one who can uh, bring that overwhelming love because I felt it. I could have answered just like everyone else that Jesus was healing, that Jesus was working in their lives. I could have said that. And then when you ask me, who do you say that I am? I can honestly say, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. And the reason I can say that is because I, we had pastors in our, our church there in Fort Stockton who preached the Word of God, who preached the miracles of God, who preached the forgiveness of God, who preached about the salvation of God, who preached the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We had pastors who preached the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. We had revivals, church revivals. We had city revivals back in the 70s and 80s. And then there were times that I would, I would read the scriptures and God showed me who he was. And I put my faith and I put my trust in him. And then I loved how you brought up Psalm 51 because that's, that was a part of my message this morning too. And I think about how important this passage is too that was very important to me. And it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, 
Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt when he says, who do you say that I am? I can say, Jesus, you are my Savior. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And so Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And I'm sure you can give an answer for the people that you hang around of who Jesus is. But when he gets personal, who do you say I am? Can you give an answer like Peter did? Can you give an answer like Peter? Because this question has an objective, correct answer. It has an objectively correct answer, and there's only one answer that's correct. It's not Jesus who you believe him to be. Jesus didn't say, great answer, Peter. Are there, are there other disciples who would like to, to try to answer this question that may have a better answer than Peter did? He didn't say that. Some may say, you know, for Jesus, you know, for me, Jesus is always accepting. For me, Jesus is always loving. And yes, that's true, but that's not the whole story. Jesus isn't whatever you want him to be. How you feel about Jesus doesn't change who he is. There is a correct answer to the question that is not based on your feelings. It's not based on your personal opinions. But it's, but it's based on objective truth that is revealed in Scripture. When we think about that, have y'all ever seen the movie Fifty First Dates? Have you ever seen that movie? All right. Well, if you haven't, this is kind of what it's about. There was a woman named Lucy who was in a car accident. And after the accident, she has amnesia. She can't remember anything from the day before. And so the problem uh, with that is there's this guy who falls in love with Lucy. And, and because she cannot remember what has happened the day before, then, then he has to keep reintroducing himself over and over and over. And that's why it's called 50 First Dates. And so he has to keep going on these first dates uh, with Lucy. And so there's one scene at the end of the movie. Now, if you haven't seen it by now, you, you probably won't see it, so I'm going to ruin it for you, okay? <laughs> And so, so at the end of the movie, this, this woman, Lucy, wakes up. Again, she's disoriented like she's disoriented the day before because she doesn't remember anything. And there, there's this TV sitting right beside her bed, and there's this VHS tape. Do y'all remember what a VHS tape is? It's about this big. And so uh, there's this VHS tape. And uh, she's supposed to put the VHS tape in a VHS player. Do y'all remember what a VHS player looks like? It's huge. It's about this big. 
I don't know about you, but I always had to rent one of those things when I was in college. But what she was called to do is she was to take that VHS tape, she was to, to put it into that VHS player, and she was to watch it so that it would bring her up to speed on her present reality, okay? And so, so she takes that tape and she puts it in and she learns in the video that she's in a car accident and that she can't remember anything. And because of that, uh, she, she has these amazing friends, she has an amazing husband, and uh, she, she has a, a child. And on this tape, it tells her over and over her present reality, and then it also invites her to come out on the porch to join the family. And so she does. She joins the family. She puts on her jacket. She goes out. She sees her husband. She gives him a big kiss, her husband that she doesn't remember, and then she's able to also hug her daughter. Why? Is because the tape informed her of her present reality, of what truly was going on. She was able to step right into that reality. And, and so when we think about the Christian life, sometimes we battle spiritual amnesia. We forget. We have spiritual amnesia in our own lives. And what do we forget? We forget who God is. We forget what God has done for us. And we forget who we are in Christ. If we're not hearing it over and over and over, if we're not reading it and studying it, then we forget. We have this amnesia. And so, so many times we forget how God has touched our lives. I mean, we see that in the Old Testament. We see the, the miracle after miracle and how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And yet... A couple of days later, they, they were moaning and crying out, we're so hungry and thirsty, have you brought us out here to kill us? And, and, and they didn't remember all that God had done for them to get them to that place. Was, was he not going to continue to be with them? And they forgot. How many times do we forget what God has done for us? And so we need a videotape to wake us up every morning. We need a videotape to remind us of our reality, who God is and what God has done and who we are. And the good news is that we do have a videotape. We have God's word that has been given to us, that we can spend time in his word reading and studying, hearing and growing in Christ. And the good news is that we can do this every day and to grow closer to Christ. And it gives us a, a view of what is true. And, and so, when we think of, about objective truth that's revealed in his word, we live in a day where people think that spiritual truth is not objectively true. They see it as a personal thing, personally true. People do not see spiritual truth where God has spoken to us in the, in the Bible as a in a way that we can understand. People don't see spiritual truth in a valuable history where Jesus taught, he did miracles, he was crucified on a cross, he rose from the dead. They don't see that 
So many people see spiritual truth in terms of each person's experience of it. Whatever I experience, that must be true. And so, who do you say Jesus is? It has a correct answer. And, and many incorrect answers and many partially correct answers. It's not a matter of personal opinion or preference where any answer is good as the next. It's a matter of God's truth that's being revealed to us today. And that's important to us. And so the second is this question divides people. It's so diff it was so difficult for the disciples to, to commit themselves to Jesus. You know, when, when they realized that he was the Christ and the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, it, it was difficult for them. You know, Jesus didn't fit the image of, of what the Messiah would be like. They were thinking that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus was coming with a different kingdom. Things that were going to be totally different. A spiritual kingdom. And so the disciples had to face this public op op opinion that didn't agree with them. And so they had to stand against uh, the Roman government. They had to stand against their culture. They had to stand against the Jewish religious leaders. And think about that today. If, if you believe just like Peter said... Will that not mean that you're going to have to take a stand against our government today? Will it not mean that you're going to have to go against culture and what the culture's saying? Does it mean that you're, not, you're going to have to go against the, the religious leaders of our culture today? Some will see you as intolerant. It will divide, it will divide families. It will divide uh, communities. It will divide friends. It divides Christians. How you answer this question, it will even divide churches. And we see that happening in the United Methodist Church today. It's dividing us. And when you say and believe Jesus is the Christ, you are taking a stand with the disciples on who you believe Christ to be that is revealed in Scripture. And so when how you answer this question there's only one objectively correct answer. It, this question divides people. And then the last question is it requires a personal response of faith and obedience. When you think about that, it requires a personal response of faith and obedience. And so right after Peter answers, Jesus strictly warned them not to say anything to anyone. And then Jesus tells them, that he's about to die, and not only that, but he's going to be raised to life. He, he was trying to show them and give them hope of, of what's going to happen and how you answer this question. And Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. And I loved the children's time, again, how that just confirms everything being said is that of what Jesus has done. The cross is where the Lord Jesus Christ took our penalty he paid the price that we deserve to pay. He paid it. And it's the only divine solution for our sin problem. And if you have not come to Jesus confessing your sins, 
and turning away from your sins and asking for forgiveness, then you have not responded correctly to this question. God's plan was the way of the cross. When you think about the garden, Jesus cried out, Is there any other way? May this cup be taken from me. And then after three times, Jesus, he came to that point and realized this was the way, the way of the cross. And so when we think about the way of the cross for us, because what did he say? If we're to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And so this question, as you answer it, requires faith and obedience. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done to provide a relationship with God and obedience to live that out in our lives the way that Jesus has instructed us. And so today, when Jesus is asking you, who do people say that I am? How will you respond? But more important than that is when Jesus asks you personally, who do you say that I am? How will you respond to that passage? How will you respond? You know, I love Romans 10, 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth and believe, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news for us today, church. That's something that we can hold on to. And so this morning, I hope that you will wrestle with those questions for you and that it will be a personal question. And how will you answer that personal question that Jesus is inviting you to ask? I hope that you can respond. The Christ of God. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you today, and Lord, as we wrestle with these two questions, Father, thank you for showing us your identity, for who you are, and for the truth that's been revealed in Scripture. And Father, as we wrestle with these questions, Father, help us come to that point where we can truly say, you are the Christ. Father, I thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts, and may we be faithful and obedient to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.